0: Thank you. Open your Bibles to John 8 if you would, if you have one. If we haven't met, I'm Jim Whittle. My wife Sherry is right there and my daughter is next to her and uh, some other friends are here as well. And uh, I work for Equipping Leaders International and we train leaders around the world, primarily in Africa and India. And I am the India Project Director. So I travel once a quarter for about a month, just got back last Saturday after a uh, month-long trip and uh, do training events each week. So uh, Sherry was with me for two weeks on this trip and we did uh, a women's conference the first week and then we had a marriage conference and then uh, Sherry came home and one of my colleagues met me there and we did a week of Bible college and then we did a uh, three-day Romans uh, seminar in the Book of Romans. And so uh, 90% of the world's pastors have no theological education or training. And 70% of the world's pastors have no more education than a high school equivalency. And so, uh, so equipping leaders is called to fill in that gap. And so that's what we're doing. I'll be back in India in April f- for another four weeks doing... Uh, doing a couple of marriage conferences, doing Romans, and doing leadership. So we're trying to fill in that gap. We're working—two years ago, we were working with one organization, and now the Lord has expanded that to four ministries that are in India. And if you add all the churches together that were having an impact on their leaders, it's about 5,000 churches that we're effectively training the leadership for. And So if you put 50 people in each of those churches, you can see— what, what, what is that? 250,000 Christians. So the Lord is moving, the wind is blowing in India. So let's read together from John 8 and we'll look at the word. Verse 31, hear the word of God. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. And they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. and Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Now, how you read the Bible makes all the difference in how you live. If you read the Bible primarily as law you will find on every page that God is telling you what you must do in order to please him and to be righteous. Even his promises will be based on you keeping the law. But on the other hand, if if you read the Bible as promise you'll find on on every page that God is telling you what he will do in order to make you acceptable and righteous and what he will do through you to reveal his glory. Even the law will then be seen through his promises. So, which one are you? Are you reading your Bible to make sure you do what's right? Or are you reading your Bible to rejoice at what God has done and is doing through his people as a demonstration of his love? You see, see the, deep, the deepest message of the Bible is the grace of God to undeserving sinners and lawbreakers through the death and resurrection of his own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, Abraham, Abraham rejoiced at the day of Christ for the simple reason that God was fulfilling all the promises to Abraham through Christ. Now, God made four incredible promises to abraham do do you remember what they were the the blessing of his presence the the promised land there they are on the screen the the promised land and an uncountable people and, and finally that the nations would be blessed through him and if you look at your new testament carefully you'll see that those promises are fulfilled in christ In that we have the presence of God through his Holy Spirit. He has given us the kingdom of God as the fulfillment of the promised land. The church is the uncountable people of God. And the final promise is the same. Is that the nations would see the glory of of God. And it's that fourth promise that is the culmination of the gospel. You, You could say it's the bottom line of God's purposes in Abraham, to bring the power and the blessing of God's presence to the ends of the earth through the means of his people being a blessing. So you see, missions, or you could say evangelism, missions is either an obligation of drudgery and guilt and expense that is tacked on by Jesus at the end of his ministry in the Great Commission, or missions is the fulfillment of joy at God's work through you and through me in the name of Jesus to make Jesus famous throughout the world and it's the central purpose of all of redemption you see it all depends on how you read your bible so today we're going to look at the joy of Abraham in this passage that I just read we're not going to study the whole passage it's too long but but uh, I have three points that I wanted to share with you about the gospel from this passage this morning that, that are related to missions. And the first one is joyful freedom. You know, for, for some time, Jesus has been showing and telling the Jews in Jerusalem who he really is. He, he is the bread of heaven who feeds the soul. He, he is the living water who quenches your thirst. He is the, the light of the world who reveals the glory of God and, and gives life. And so many have put their faith in Him, and Jesus tells them that if they will follow Him, they will find true freedom and that they will live free. You see, true freedom only comes one way, by listening to and trusting in and living according to the words of Christ. He is truth, and knowing Him makes you free which, you know, sounds a little strange to our ears because when Americans hear the word freedom, we're usually talking about political freedom. And, and we're making a contrast with all that's going on in Washington and, and the tyranny of the NSA snooping or, or the Obamacare mandates that we so dearly love. And, 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 and political freedom, you see, is about self-rule. It's about the rule of the people. But Jesus is saying right here in John 8 that true freedom comes only from giving up self-rule and heeding his words instead. Now now hear me well, the the gospel always stands against the tyranny of men because government is a gift of God for the good of humanity. But, But political freedom brings no comfort without Christ because true freedom comes from Christ alone. Now, the twin sister of political freedom is personal freedom. Now we get to it. This is what Americans love. We are free. I can do whatever I want. Civil rights, religious liberty, capitalism, autonomy to do whatever I want. I can study anything I want. I can have any job I can get. I can live wherever I want. I have no master except for myself i'll do whatever i want to do and i'll answer only whom i want to answer now i don't know about you but that sounds a little bit like the prodigal son from, from the, the parable of jesus doesn't it who took his inheritance early and ran off so that he could do his own thing without the constraints of his own dad so jesus says that that's not freedom that's the way of slavery it's what Adam and Eve were after when they ate from the prohibition tree in the garden in hopes that that would make them godlike and instead it made them devilish so think for just a moment about the most narcissistic person you know just let a name flash into your mind it could be Charlie Sheen it could be the most popular kid in school or, or or it could be your favorite politician. I don't even need to mention names there. Someone who is full of themselves and seeks their own good at the expense of others. We see that's not freedom. That's death. Because we were all designed and created with a purpose by God. And that purpose is to enjoy his glory. And you can only know the glory of God and see his glory and enjoy his glory if you submit to Christ's rule over your life and live for others. You see, because of Adam's rebellion, every person is now born with an ultimate commitment to self. If you don't believe it about yourself, just look at every child you know, every baby is born self-seeking and it flowers nicely at about two to three years old. Sherry and I now have three grandchildren. Well, we've had five kids that were all that age and now we have three grandchildren. And uh, the, 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 the middle one, she's a year and a half and she knows two words really well. No is one of them and me is the other word that she knows really well. And... And you know maturity doesn't help this problem it, it just it just gets more sophisticated as we figure out how to be nice and when to be nice in order to get our own way and some of us who have a type personalities we we use the force of our will and drive and personality in order to intimidate others in a polite fashion of course to in order to get our way and and it But it doesn't matter which approach you take, nice or forceful, people-pleaser or bossy. The goal is the same, self. And self-rule is suicide of the will because you become a slave to your own passions And so the Jews hear Jesus talking, and they're offended by the notion that they might be slaves. They answered him in verse 33, and they said, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say you will become free? And every time I read that, I almost laugh out loud. This is hilarious. The Jews are definitely Abraham's descendants. That much is true. But the statement that they have never been slaves is simply farcical. Have they forgotten the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians and the Syrians and the Greeks and, and, and now Rome? All of whom ruled over them and some who made them literally slaves. Not to mention their regular headaches from the Philistines, the Moabites, the Amalekites, the Edomites and a host of other folks during the period of the judges and the kings. You know, I just did a quick estimate off the top of my head, and for the 2,000 years from Abraham until the call, from Abraham's call until Jesus, the Jews were independent for maybe half of that 2,000 years. But you see, the Jews aren't Americans, they're not really thinking about political freedom or even personal freedom, they're thinking about religious freedom. What they're boasting about is that for 2,000 years, they have been the true people of God. They are Abraham's seed. They are the people. Since Moses, they have had the word of God. The nations of the world are idolaters and slaves to their idolatry, but not us. We're free. We're free from idolatry. We are the chosen. We are God's people. We are the keepers of the law and the temple, God's way, and And his presence. Well now that sounds a little bit like the prodigal's older brother. Doesn't it? Who who in anger at his father's grace towards his rebellious brother told his dad. Look these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. But you see God's relationship with his people throughout the Old Testament was always a matter of grace. Grace. And forgiveness, Israel never deserved deliverance. They were weak, stiff necked losers who who repeatedly returned to rebellion. So, So God's way is always about unmerited grace to sinners. As soon as you reject that, you see you've lost your freedom. Jesus is offering salvation from sin, and the problem is they don't want a Savior. Their sense of freedom is based on their own effort and cleverness in doctrine and works. They just want heroes to follow. So they deny their sin and their need, and anger is the result instead of life and joy and freedom. So that takes us to the second thing I wanted you to see. Not only joyful freedom, but joyful sonship. Look again at verse 37. Jesus says I know you are the offspring of Abraham yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father and they answered him Abraham is our father and Jesus said to them if you were Abraham's children you would be doing what Abraham did. Now Sherry and I have been serving the Lord in Douglasville Georgia for over a decade and 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 you all know where that is it's just you know, instead of being on the, the, the northwest side, we're, we're due west. Douglasville is the largest community on the due west side out I-20. And uh, it's a little bit different than Kennesaw because it's an old town, not a new town. And uh, technically, like you, we're part of the metro area, but it, it, it still feels like a small town, doesn't it, Sherry? It's the smallest place we've ever lived. Everybody's related to each other. Even in casual conversation, you'll discover that you're talking to, with the cousin of a friend. Sometimes I tell Sherry, you know, there's only five families in this sleepy little town. Well, what Jesus says right here is that there's only two families in the whole earth of seven billion people. Either God is your father or the devil is your father. It's one or the other. There's no in between. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them if God were your father you would love me for I came from God and I am here I came not of my own accord but he sent me why do you not understand what I say it is because you cannot bear to hear my word you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character For he is a liar and the father of lies. Whoever is, verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, here's a simple truth. If Abraham is your spiritual father, then you're a child of God. And if you are a child of God, then Abraham is your spiritual father. So in this argument over fathers, the Jewish leaders, they're they're trying to make the point that Abraham is their father, therefore God must be their father. But Jesus says, if Abraham is your father, then you would do the things that Abraham does. And what Abraham did was trust God at his word and put his faith in him alone for salvation. He embraced the promises and the mission of God to the nations. So that's why it says in Genesis 15 and verse 6 that Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. You see, before Abram was ever circumcised or, or ever offered Isaac to the Lord, he was declared righteous by faith alone. And it wasn't some general belief that, that, that there is a God. But it was a specific faith in God and his promises. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And you see the fruit of that righteous faith then was that Abraham welcomed God when he came to him again in Genesis 18 to announce the, the, the birth of the promised son Isaac. Which means if these folks that are listening to Jesus were at all like Abraham, then they would welcome Christ who was sent from God as the true son of promise. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, now that's a little obtuse. It's, it's a little weird. What, what exactly does Jesus mean? Well, Let's see if we can put the pieces together and in, in Genesis chapter 12 you get the great call of Abraham verse 2 he says I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you now there's the two families again you're either for Abraham or you're against him you're for Christ or you're against him, and the promise of blessing is to Abraham's seed, to his offspring, but you see there's a problem, if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, you know that they're childless and they're really old, over 75 or 80, and they're too old to have any children, so God promises a miracle son, and do you remember Abraham's response? He laughed And then in Genesis 18, when God comes again to repeat the promise, this time it's Sarah who laughed. She says, now that I'm old, I'm going to get the privilege of this. And so you remember what God told them to name the son, to name him Isaac, which in Hebrew means he laughs. So can you imagine the joy in your house if you've waited your whole life for a child that finally comes and is... And it's a son whose name means laughter and rejoicing. Don't, don't you think your house would be filled with tremendous joy and laughter all the time? So the son comes, there's great laughter and rejoicing. And then after a decade of joy, God tells Abraham in Genesis 22 to sacrifice his only son on Mount Moriah. Now, can you imagine the anguish? Do you think Abraham slept at all for those three days? For you see, it was on the third day that they finally reached the place of suffering, Mount Moriah, which is where Jesus himself was crucified. And after carrying the wood for the sacrifice, just like Jesus carried his own wood, Isaac said to his father, It's on the screen, Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. For the burnt offering, my son. And if you remember the story, God did just that, providing a ram caught in the thicket, and then God makes that those incredible set of promises again that He's already read that we've already read, and He finishes with this one in verse 18. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So over seventy years. The Lord had been revealing his plan to Abraham little by little, coming to visit him in the process, teaching him about gospel power and faith, about substitutionary atonement, which is when someone or something else suffers as a means of paying the price for your guilt, about a promised son that only God could give, About imputed righteousness, which is a $20 phrase that means someone else's righteousness is credited to you. About sending a son who would stand in the place of sinners and rise from the dead. That's what Hebrews 11 says. That by faith, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. And Paul ties this all nicely together in Galatians chapter 3, where he says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, And to seeds, meaning meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. And guess what? These Jewish leaders have missed it. And I can see how. You see, if you read your Bible to discover what you must do in order to save yourself instead of reading what God does to keep his promises, then you will miss the gospel, the good news of God's grace. And these leaders are reading the promises to Abraham, but they see themselves as the fulfillment of those promises. And that's what glory seekers always see. They see themselves. But the story of Abraham and Isaac is about Messiah. It's about Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men would become the sons of God. That's the gospel. Let me say it again. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men would become the sons of God that's why Abraham rejoiced and that takes us to the third thing that I wanted to show you this morning which is joyful blessing you see missions and evangelism are not add-ons in the great commission at the end of the ministry of Christ I hope you see that by now in fact In the New Testament, the word evangelism comes from the Greek word evangel, which means good news, which is also the same word as gospel, and it's the same word as preaching. You see, missions is at the heart of the gospel from the promised Savior in Genesis 3 to to the city of God that's revealed in Revelation 21 and 22 at the end of your Bible. And if you're a follower of Christ and you're not involved in missions or evangelism, then you are missing the heart of the gospel and taking God's blessings for granted. To be children of Abraham, to be sons of God, is to bear the fruit of Abraham. It's to do what he did. And he put his faith in Christ alone, trusting in his promises to do the work of salvation. And Abraham embraced the mission and purpose of bringing God's salvation to the nations. And we are his children only if we do the same. You see, Adam forsook the blessing of God of God's presence, and the whole world fell into a curse of seeking self. So God God called Abraham out of that idolatry in order to be the father of a savior who would reconcile a sinful world to himself. God called Abraham out of unbelief and gave him faith in order to be the father of those who would put their faith in Christ Jesus. God called Abraham out of the nations to create one nation, Israel, who would bring the Messiah, the Christ, in order to bring God's salvation to all the nations. And that's what the whole Bible is about. The Father in His grace, giving His Son in death and resurrection, in order that we might, through His Spirit, have eternal life as firstborn sons, both men and women so that we would be a blessing to the world around us. You you see, there's no dead-end streets in God's kingdom where you just collect and don't give. God's children are always intersections of grace, receiving God's blessing and then passing it on in love. That's why God says in the the prophet Isaiah to, to the servant, the suffering servant, it was Jesus, it says it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. You see, God's grace is not just for Israel and it's not just for Christ's community in Kennesaw. The gospel is for the nations. Mary sang about it when she heard about the good news of of the miracle birth Zechariah the father of John the Baptist sang about it the angels when they announced to the shepherds were singing about the peace to the nations even Simeon on the day of Christ's circumcision all of them singing at the birth of Christ the the apostles they wrote about it and the whole church in heaven on earth sings with joy about it and Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 where it says they sang a new song saying Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And the bottom line of the promise of God's salvation is that like Abraham, he gives us the blessing of himself in order that we as the people of God might be a blessing first to our neighbor and then to the whole world. That's his plan. Missions is the heart of the Gospel. We are set free from slavery to ourselves so that we would know the joy as living of sons of God who live not for ourselves but for others and it's not an obligation of drudgery and law but a fulfillment of promise that the Lord frees us from a meaningless life focused on our own blessings. To give us the joyful purpose of making him known to other sinners like ourselves through love. What else are you going to do with your life? Watch Monday Night Football or The Bachelor? Or or, or go to the Redneck Riviera down at PCB to the beach? Okay, we'll watch Monday Night Football and, and, and The Bachelor if you'd like and go to the beach, but lead an efficient life and do it with friends who need Christ and do evangelism at the same time, you see. Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the bad news is, is that if you want the top line blessing of God's presence in your life and the rich inheritance of being a son, but you're not interested in others knowing Christ, then you won't be joyful as you focus on your own needs first. And the worries of this life, Jesus says, and the deceitfulness of comfort will choke the life right out of you. And you may not be a son at all, you see just simply religious church-going folks like these Jewish leaders in John 8. And if evangelism and mission look like an obligation of law and guilt, well, then the Lord will free you of that obligation and give His joy to someone else. And the bad news is that if you don't want Jesus' rule in your life, then you're definitely not a son and you're not free and you're in that other family. But beloved, there is good news. It's an incredible good news. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. He lived the perfect life, living as a blessing to others in our place. And he died on a cross for our sins, even the sin of neglecting mission. And he rose from the dead so that we would be sons of God and have the power to live as sons of God by living for the blessing of mission. If you will repent of your sin and unbelief, if you will turn from yourself and turn to Christ, then he will do that work in your life and he will give you a heart for others and a joy for mission. All you have to do is ask him. And because of Christ, you will rejoice with Abraham and you'll sit at the table in the kingdom. So I invite you to put your hope in Christ today. Embrace his salvation, his promises, and his purpose for your life to exalt the glory of his grace. Now, I know this is countercultural. Our culture, American culture, says that it is bad form to talk about religion or politics, that it's nobody else's business but my own what I believe. So, you see, we're in serious conflict here. The preacher says, do evangelism. The word says, do evangelism. And yet embedded in my value system as an American is that it's offensive. So you sit through sermons like this and it just looks like one more demand of drudgery and guilt that I have to carry around that the preacher put on my back. I get that. Beloved, that's why we have to repent. You see, the gospel is offensive. Not just to our own culture, but to all cultures. You see, what we need is a radical transformation of mind and heart to believe that Christ has called us to a life of self-sacrifice for the good of others. And the question is, will we believe that or won't we? Are the blessings simply for me, or is the greater blessing being freed from myself so that I can live for others? And you know, at this point, I have to say with the disciples, Lord, increase my faith. You know, what's really amazing is that God has chosen the foolishness of evangelism through a people who struggle to live for more than the worries and comfort of the day. What kind of crazy plan is that? for bringing about the kingdom. Yet by his grace, he invites us to an abundant life of faith, just like Abraham. Being blessed so that we might be a blessing to our neighborhood and our workplace and our city and to the whole world so that we will see his promises fulfilled in us through Christ. So, beloved, there are three responses to the mission field. You can go, You can send or you can disobey. That's your three options. So I invite you today to put your faith and hope in Christ and ask him to do a deep work in your own life so that you might live as a blessing for others by going or sending or both. And that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's stand for it.